You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 and 57 to 79. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe in my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, They came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. 
And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning once again. Um, Good to have you here with us this morning. Dana is going to be bringing the word. If you haven't had a chance to meet him, he is our church planning apprentice at the moment and helps to oversee our community groups. It's been a great gift to our community. Um, Has a great love of the word, so I'm excited to hear you um, just unpack what the Lord's been ministering to you this week. Let me pray for you, brother. Uh, Father, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for this man's friendship. Uh, th- thankful that I get to shoulder up in ministry with him and serve in this community. And I'm excited by all that you're up to. I pray this morning as Dana opens the text and digs into it, that Holy Spirit, you would empower him to do what we can't do by our own strength. We ask it all in the great name of Christ. Amen. Oh, well, thank you, Josh. Uh, like Josh said, my name is Dana McCallum. I am the church plan apprentice here at Praxis. And you know, everywhere I go, when I get to meet new people, they always ask me the exact same thing. After I get, they get to know me a little bit, they say, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm the church plan apprentice at a church called Praxis in Kelowna. And they always ask the same question, which is, what does that mean? And um, Josh did a good job. A lot of my uh, position here is really just to see what church planting is, what it's all about. Um, Am I called into it? I have been poked and prodded by the vetting committee, which is awesome. And um, I get the blessing of overseeing our community groups. We have amazing community group leaders here at Praxis, amazing community groups. I prepare the content for them. I give them wisdom, maybe. And... uh, (laughs) Bless them when I can. They really encourage me probably more than I encourage them. Um, A lot of my position also is replying to emails that you send in, getting to know you, getting to know your story, getting to hear how the Lord's been using you. And one of the other things I get to do is um, my job title says, The Glue on Sunday Morning, which is a weird term because we have an amazing volunteer crew. Everything you see around you is not here when we get here at 6 in the morning. We have a crew that comes in and they put this all up. They are extremely gifted individuals, and they give me very little to do. And so they are, they are a blessing to me, and clearly they're a blessing to you. So, uh, yeah, that's what I do as a church planning apprentice. Um, I'm also a father. I got six kids. Only six, as I say. A couple. But... Um, yeah, I'm really excited for this morning. The odd time Josh is brave enough to let me get up here and uh, give to you what the Lord's put on my heart. So this morning, we're going to begin with a question, okay? Just to get us thinking a little bit, I want you to think about this question. Are you content with the outcome of your prayers 
even when they are not answered in the way you want and in the timeline you hope for. Think about that for a sec. Are we content? And that's a hard one, right? That, that's a hard one because I think most of us, we know the right answer is, of course, yes, right? Say it with me. Yes. Right? The right answer is yes. Of course. Yes is the answer. But is that really our attitude? Is that really our attitude? When we go to the Lord in prayer, when we ask, when we intercede, when we plead, when sometimes we, we get on our knees, our hands and knees, and we beg for specific things to happen, is our attitude an attitude of thankfulness for whatever the outcome and in whatever the timeline? It's a hard one, isn't it? Or do we begin to wonder if the Lord has even heard us? Lord, have you even heard our prayer? Even if it takes, you know, after it takes weeks maybe, maybe months, maybe years, maybe 20 years, maybe our entire lifetime, are we content with that? Are we okay? Or do our hearts become hardened? Do our hearts become hardened? Do we maybe get angry at the Lord? Maybe our prayers are not answered as we hoped. Are we content with that? And I, this morning, I want to be completely transparent with you, probably, probably a little more than um, I, I should be. Um, I, I don't know if it's my age. I'm not that old. I'm not as old as Keith, so I'm not that old. He looks pretty good for a 70-year-old, doesn't he? <laughs> You'll be back for that later. Anyway, it's, I wonder if it's my age. Um, maybe you can relate to this, but it seems like the older I get, it seems like there's this weird tension in my walk with the Lord. This, this tension seems to come up mainly in my prayer life. For me, this, this tension is like, it's really deeply personal because I want to be a good follower of the Lord, right? I, I want to be faithful in, in this call on my life. I, I want to be faithful in going to the Lord with my requests of my heart, whether, whether they're for me or whether they're for those I love or they're for you or they're for the world that we live in. Yet I cannot, I cannot help that it's hard to constantly be going to the Lord with requests and many times deep heart cries, these prayers, and not receiving the resolve in the timeline that I was hoping for. And I, I feel sometimes a bit of hardening. I feel sometimes a bit of resentment. Maybe an irritation is probably the better word. Seems like there's no resolve, especially in the time that I hope for. But here's the weird thing for me if I was to just take a step back from everything I just said, and I was to look at the totality of my life and the life of those around me, I would, I could see, I can see the Lord's hand at work in every single aspect of it. And I'm sure many of you here can feel the same way, but I cannot help it. That tension is still there. I don't know if you can relate to that. 
I don't know if, if you're there. I don't know if you're one of those people who are, man, you're just content with whatever the Lord will, will give you. And I, I, man, I know, we all know people like that, don't we, who just go to the Lord in prayer and they're just good with it. Lord, your will be done in the timeline. I'm good. And man, I look at those people and I think, wow, I wish I could be like that. And I wish these feelings, I wish these thoughts weren't there, but they're there. They're there. The tension remains. So my hope this morning, my hope this morning is that this sermon will be an encouragement to those of you who are not fully content in your prayer life. That it would be a good reminder for those who are content and for those who are not content as to what our hearts should be like as we go to the Lord in prayer. This sermon is for me as, as much as it is for you. It's for me first, though. I'm going to introduce some of you uh, to a couple that maybe you don't know too well. I'm going to introduce some of you this morning to a situation that is unique, but not. I'm going to introduce you to a time in history uh, where there was a people praying for, hoping for specific things that God would answer that he said he would do. I'm going to introduce some of you to a wrong response to an answered prayer and how that wrong response was eventually transformed into a song of praise. This is our second week of Advent. And last week, Josh did this amazing job of talking about the nation's song from Psalm 98. He did a great job of that. And this week, we get the, the joy of looking at Zechariah's song from Luke 1. So if you have your Bibles handy, I want to encourage you, open them up to Luke chapter 1. If you got a phone app, go there. If you don't have a Bible and don't have a phone app, we got Bibles in the corner. Feel free to get up and take one. If you're feeling extra lazy this morning, most of the passages will be on the screen, okay? Um, but as you get there, as you go to Luke 1, I want to give you a little context little background to our passage this morning. So, the author of our main passage this morning is a man named Luke. He is believed to be a physician, a really well-educated man. Um, and what Luke, the very first couple of verses of Luke tell us is that um, Luke had taken up this task of writing an orderly account Write an orderly account from eyewitnesses, that means people that were there, of what happened around Jerusalem between some say between 6 to 27 AD and others say 180 to 33 AD. The timeline doesn't necessarily matter right at this moment. But what you need to know is that all of Luke's writing centered around a man named Jesus and his ministry. But what you may not know, some of you don't know this, maybe some of you do, is that prior to the Gospel of Luke, we have, the, uh, we have 400 years of silence from the Lord. 400 years of nothing. The Jewish people had been enslaved over those 400 years. They had been conquered so many times, it's ridiculous. So many of them had run off to other gods, and in many cases walked away from the God that they once loved. And many of those Israelites never returned to the promised land, never returned to their homeland. But for those who did, they were always under the rule of the nation that had most recently conquered them. 
The last words before the 400 years of silence are the words from a prophet named Malachi, who foretold of the Messiah who was to come, but furthermore, of the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. And he says this in Malachi 4. I'll read it to you. Malachi 4, 2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act as the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of your servant Moses and the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Herob for all Israel. And this is the point to remember. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then silence. 400 years. 400 years. Israel waited living out their lives, generation after generation, waiting for the one who would come and save the nation from the most recent nation that had conquered them, to bring back their power, to bring back their ability to worship the God of their ancestors in the way that they were supposed to. They waited, and they waited, and they waited, and 400 years went by. Until one day, we read in Luke 1, verse 5, about a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. This, this godly couple, walking in the way that honored the Lord. They, they kept themselves from corruption and in the influences of the world. They were not sinless, they were humans, but they walked rightly before, the God, before God. They, they walked uprightly towards the Lord. They were an old couple. They were like this, the old couple in the church who were just these godly saints. We know them, don't we? Just these godly, godly, faithful saints. But we also learn from the passage that they had no kids. They had no offspring. And that the time for their kids, for them having kids, had long since passed. They weren't young anymore. And as you will see, this has been a kind of a heart cry for their entire lives. And as I read this passage, I could not help but think, how many sleepless nights must they have had in prayer? How many conversations must they have had and that feeling of sorrow come over them when they talk about the fact that they couldn't have kids or hadn't had kids yet, hadn't been blessed with a child yet? How many baby showers did Elizabeth go to? How many babies did she hold and in her heart of hearts just cry to the Lord, Lord, can I have one of these? And we read in verse 8 this. Let's go there, Luke 1, verse 8. Now while he was serving, that's Zechariah, as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now you're probably thinking like, what, what do these mean by customs? What are, what are these customs? 
What does that mean? Well, Zechariah was part of a specific division of priests, and I don't really have time to get into the totality of all of this. It is really fascinating. I would encourage you to go look it up. But basically what you need to know for this morning is this. This task entailed a priest going into the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place, just outside the holy of holy places in the temple, and they would take incense in with them, and they would burn incense on this altar of incense, and as the smoke billowed in the room, they would put up, they would put up the, the uh, prayers for the people who were praying outside. They would intercede for the people, for the nation. This was a huge honor. We need to see this too. Maybe you, you wouldn't get this from the passage, but you need to know this, and it make, kind of opens this up a bit for us this morning. This task was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Once you got pulled to be the priest who went in to burn incense, that was it. You weren't allowed to do it again. You retired. So the fact that we find out that Zechariah is old, and now he finally gets this privilege, you understand he's been waiting his whole life for this. His whole life, he is probably very nervous that he's been chosen, but he's chosen. And as I read this passage, and as we'll get into it a little more, one of the thoughts that kept going into my mind was, what was his attitude like? What was his attitude like? Like so many years of waiting for, to have this, this role Right? So many years of making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to, to serve and never being picked until now. He's an old man. He's an old man in charge of a task that he has been waiting to do his whole life, to intercede and pray for the people. Yet I think something happens here. Something seems to happen. The passage, as we get into it, seems to tell us that while Zechariah was in the holy place praying for the people that were outside, he also took time to lament to the Lord in prayer about not being able to have a child. And let's, let's call it what it is. To the Jew, you weren't going to get much closer to God than the holy place. He was but feet from the Holy of Holies. And I think he took full advantage of it. He let the Lord know how he felt. Probably all that pain and sorrow that his wife had gone through her whole life being barren. And you might be thinking, well, how do you know he prayed about a child? Right? Look in verse 11 with me. Verse 11 to 13. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. So Zechariah is in the holy place. He's burning incense. He's praying for the people, lamenting over this child. And there appears to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was uh, troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. He's terrified. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Now, this could mean his prayers, maybe the prayers he's had for his whole life, but notice it doesn't say prayers, it says prayer. He prayed. He lamented. He pleaded with God. And I, th I think at some level he was probably feeling angry. You might be saying, well, me, probably taking a bit of a liberty here, Dana. 
Maybe. But read what the angel says to him. Read what the angel says to him about this boy. And then look at what, let's, we're going to go through what Zechariah's response was. And his response is critical to understanding what his prayer must have been like. It says this, And your wife Elizabeth, this is the angel speaking to Zechariah, your prayer, have been heard, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will, be, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and, his, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just." To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Can I just ask the parents here real quick? Listen, I've had six kids, and I have yet to have this kind of instruction. Wouldn't that be awesome? To have like some foretelling of what your child would be like when they're older? How many sleepless nights do we have as parents wondering what, Lord, what do you got for our kids? Right? It would be amazing. But what do we pick up about John in this picture? What, what is John going to be like? Well, he's going to have a life devoted to the Lord, which was usually a vow that was a short time, for a short time. But individuals like Samson and Samuel from the Old Testament, they, this was subject to them from birth as well. The angel also tells Zechariah something very particular about his son that he would be illuminated, sanctified, guided by the Holy Spirit, even from birth, and even more importantly, the angel quotes Malachi 4, which we just talked about at the beginning of the sermon, didn't we? Which would have more than likely triggered the understanding of Zechariah that, that the one his son was preparing the way for was the Messiah. The one the people outside have been waiting for. God has answered the old priest's prayer. I, I, I love the fact that this is kind of like a two-fold prayer answer, right? He's answered this old priest's prayer for a child, a personal request, and also for the larger request of the people. However, you may be asking, well, how do I know Zachariah lamented? How do I know Zachariah maybe was angry, upset, How do I know what he prayed in the temple? Well, I don't know exactly, but the passage seems to say this. Look at Zechariah's response to what the angel said in verse 18. And Zechariah, so think of what the angel just said to him as a parent. What a blessing, right? And then the angel, and then Zechariah, looking at the angel, still fearful, says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Some of us answer like this. When, when God answers our prayers, maybe in a different way than we expected, maybe in a different timeline, I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, if we were put in this situation, we may answer the same way. For Zechariah, he's saying, basically, sounds great, too late. Right? Sounds great, but it's too late. I'm old. My wife, she's old. And... 
it's our time for having kids is done. It's just not possible. The thing I don't understand, though, the thing I don't understand about this is why didn't he believe, right? Why didn't he believe? I, I think this actually shows how upset Zechariah was about the subject, how stubborn he was on the subject. You see, the idea for someone being barren in their old age and the Lord blessing them with the child, this is not like a new thing in Scripture. This has happened a bunch of times. But he didn't even consider it. He didn't even think his wife, that the Lord could do this through his wife. If you read Scripture enough, especially the Old Testament, you'll see this happens over and over again, this there's an article I read this week, and I'm going to read it to you. It was pretty awesome. It says this. It was the same for Sarah and Abraham, for Rachel and Jacob, for, ben, for uh, Manoah and his wife, for Hannah, for the Shunammite woman and her husband. Each couple in their way pleaded with the Lord, and a, a few tried to cheat the raw deal of childlessness. Five Precedents did nothing to prepare him, that being Zechariah, for the miracle of his own life. So the judgment on his disbelief was a mute tongue, and more than that, a son who was not his own son. A son set apart already from the womb, with a name different than his father, and a belly full of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah should have known better. And I love this last line, it says this. When an angel comes and announces the birth of a son... Believe. Isn't that good? Look at what the angel's response is in verse 19. Look what the angel's response is in verse 19. And the angel answered. Angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I love the angel's response because it's kind of snarky. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of sarcastic in a matter. It's kind of like he's saying, hello? What? Like, I, I'm an angel, um, name's Gabriel, hello, uh, I stand in the presence of God, I have a glowing robe, right? I'm not just some human being. I have come, I have been sent to tell you these things, and not only of what God is going to, an that God's going to answer your prayers, to give you a son, but I'm going to use your son to prepare the way of the Lord, that the Messiah is going to come, the one who the people outside this tent have been praying for, for hundreds of years. But I can see your heart. I can see that you don't believe me. And so you are mute until that day. And while all of this is happening, the people are outside praying. But they begin to wonder, like, what's going on inside? Because this, the priestly thing probably only would have taken a handful of minutes. The priest would have gone in, put the incense on, done some prayers, walked out. It was probably a set time. But it's kind of lagging on. And I just kind of imagine the people being like, like, I know he's old, but is he that old? Like, has he gone and died on us in the temple? Like, I got a breakfast to get to. Come on, man, let's hurry it up. 
But they're, they're, they're out there. They're waiting. And eventually, Zechariah comes out. He's mute. He can't speak. And the pe- scripture tells us the people understood he had a vision. So what does Zechariah do? Well, he finishes his job. And he goes home. Jump with me now to Luke 57. 157. It tells us that the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she had this beautiful baby boy. And you can imagine these two, basically grandparents, with a newborn baby. And they're trying to, they're trying to keep this all secret. But somehow it gets out to the neighbors, which eventually bleeds out to their relatives who have to come and say hello. right? And so they come on the eighth day to circumcise the child. And the relatives are there, and they go to name the child. They go to name the child, and they say, we're to call him Zachariah after his father. And Elizabeth's like, no, his name's John. His name's John. You see, here's the thing. I I think Elizabeth had a lot easier time believing than Zachariah did. You see, if you were to go back real quick and just look at Verse 24 and 25, just read it there. There's no slide for it, I'll just read it. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. She saw it as a blessing. She got it. After four months, she started to show and see, went, wow, Lord, look at what you're doing. I don't think Zachariah was there. And I just imagine their home packed with people. Maybe you can see it too, just full of people. And there's, there's Elizabeth with the little baby John and his dad's in the corner. And they call the dad out and say, hey, listen, your wife, uh, she says his name is John. We want to call him Zachariah after you. What should we call him? And he asked for a tablet, and he asked for a pen. And he could have written his name Zachariah. He had every right to do that. But what does he do? He takes the tablet, he takes the pen, and he says, he writes on it, his name is John. And I think in that moment, it was that belief that came into him. A heart changed in him. And he believed what the angel had told him in the temple that day, that his son would go before the one who was to come. He believed what his son would be, what his son would do. And look at what it says there. Look at what it says in verse 64. And immediately, and immediately his mouth was opened. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened and he spoke, blessing God. And the fear came on all their neighbors and all those things were talked about uh, uh, through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was on him. And we could stop there, couldn't we? We could stop there in the passage. That would be enough. 
But there's something missing, isn't there? Sure, the fact that the old couple had a child was probably something the people of the area would talk about. We would talk about that, wouldn't we? Sure, the fact that Zachariah, who is mute, who now could speak, would be something that we would talk about. But I think there's more to that. It's not simply whom the child was born to or the seeming miracle of the father being able to speak, but more specifically about what Zechariah prophesied to the people about who his son was and made the, which made the people tremble. The news made the people tremble and wonder who this boy would be. We have to remember it's very likely that Zechariah didn't tell anyone else but his wife what had happened in the temple that day, what the angel had told him about his son. Yet here, the Holy Spirit fills Zechariah not in a way of receiving salvation that we're going to see, that you'd read of in the book of Acts, but as a way to use Zechariah to proclaim to those who were there in his house, look at what the Lord is doing. He is faithful. The Holy Spirit is making a point. It's, he's saying, this is really important. Look at what I'm doing. And a joyous song of prophecy just bursts out of Zechariah. He cannot hold it in. This is the news that went all over the countryside. This is the news that went all over the countryside. This is the news that people wondered about. And the fascinating thing to me is the fact that this prophecy is twofold. This song of Zechariah is twofold. Just like the words of the angel to Zechariah in the temple that day, Zechariah's song is for the nation of Israel to remember what God has done and is doing. But also a proclamation over his son, who he will be. And man, I cannot tell you, I am so thankful that Luke has a record of it in Luke. Let me read it with, read it with me here. Luke 67, uh, 67 to 75. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of, all of our days. And you, oh, excuse me, I'll stop there. I almost got ahead of myself. I was getting so excited. Notice the direction of the first half of the song. It, it begins with past tense, right? Read it right there in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. This is, this is a past tense, but it's also looking forward to what was to come. The Holy Spirit is reminding those who are there and those who would hear about all of this that God has done great things, that he has been the protector. He has not forgotten what he promised. 
And look, he's delivering on his promise. And even though it had been many, many years, God has not forgot his covenant. This, this song of Zechariah mentions two. First, the Davidic covenant from 2 Samuel 7.13, which says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And also the, covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, which says this from Genesis 12.3, And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This first section of the song is reminding those who fear God that God does not forget. He will not forsake his people. He is doing what he said he would do. But then the song shifts and does something fascinating. Read with me in verse 76. And you, child... And you, child, will be called the prophet of Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That beautiful. This prophecy shifts from what God has done and is doing to his to the son of Zechariah and who he will be and what his birth signifies. And there are multiple references to Old Testament prophecies on the day of the Lord embedded in this last half of Zechariah's song. Quotes from uh, Malachi 3, the forerunner would go before the Lord and prepare his way. Malachi 4, 2, which we already heard this morning. And Isaiah 9, a light to those who sit in darkness. Each verse, each verse signifies the coming of the one who would redeem the world. It's a beautiful song of God's promise to his people. But here's the sobering part about the passage. Even though as much as the news was exciting, and the people all over this area, as scripture says, were talking about this, the people still had to wait 30 years. They still had to wait 30 years for this to happen. But what I find even more sobering is that, yes, Zachariah and Elizabeth got the joy of enjoying years of raising a child, something they looked, their, looked forward to their whole lives. But the likelihood that they ever saw John in ministry is basically nil. They're old. They are probably in their 70s, their 80s when he was born. So it's more than likely John was probably an orphan in his 20s. For the prophecy of the boy would not take effect till he was in his 30s. And the nation of Israel had to wait 30 years for the way of the Lord to be prepared. Zechariah and Elizabeth had waited their whole lives for a child. And like them, the nation of Israel had waited hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Of course. Of course it was worth it. 
30 years after, the, after this prophecy, John the Baptist came out of the wilderness. <clears throat> Sorry. Calling Israel to repent and turn to the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven was at hand. For the Christ had come. John prepared the way. John did exactly what he was called to do. Then Christ took over, calling all of Israel to repent and follow him. Jesus the Messiah lived a sinless life, eventually was arrested, wrongfully condemned to death, crucified on the cross and died there, was put in a tomb, but praise the Lord, three days later rose again, conquering sin and death and making a way for all of mankind to be saved. And before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples that he would come again. But in the meantime, they were to go into all the nations, tell all the people the good news, what the Lord was doing and what the Lord had done, calling people to repent and to give their lives to Christ, to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and to follow him. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. As I draw... As I come to a close here, I want to draw your attention back to that question I asked at the beginning. Are you content with the outcome of your prayers, even when they are not answered in the way you want and in the timeline you hope for? I think if our passage can teach us anything, it's that God is always faithful. He does not change. He will remember his covenant. He will remember his promise. Christ said he will come again. He will come again. But also we need to think of the words of the angel or the words of Zechariah from his song. And this should remind us that God remembers, right? He does not forget. And that in our faithlessness, he is faithful. Mark eleven twenty four 24 says this. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And likewise, Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says this. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And I know that first verse is really dangerously close to the name it and claim it gospel. And that's not what I'm talking about here. What I am saying is that God knows the desires of our heart. God knows the things you need before you pray for them. He knows you better than you know yourself. But he wants your heart to be like his heart. Because God is always faithful. He always hears our prayers. He always will answer. But we have to be good at taking our lives, our entirety of our lives to him. So for some of us, what that means is that maybe our hearts are not in the right place. For some of us, our prayers have become just something we say. And I don't know about you, but there are some prayers that I have where I have to constantly say, Lord, you got to change my heart in this. Because it's really hard to pray for this. It's really hard to pray for this person or this situation. Lord, I need you to change my heart that I might pray like you. 
God wants to make you new. He wants to change your heart. That all our requests may be a reflection of his will, right? The more we pray about something and the more we intercede and ask the Lord, Lord, change our heart, man, I am convinced the more like Uh, the more our prayers change. Have you ever experienced this? Where maybe your prayer started very, I don't know what the word is at the moment, but it's, it's just about you. It's about me. It's just me, myself, and I. And then it becomes, Lord, it's all about you. Your will be done. Let us... You know, if anything, can, if we can say anything about Zachariah's heart from this passage, it's really exactly this, isn't it? That he needed to have a heart of God and believe. He needed to believe. And God changed his heart. And I, I don't know what prayers you have in your life right now. I don't know what the, what's on your prayer list. I don't know if you even have a prayer list, frankly. Maybe your prayers are centered around your future profession. Maybe you're going to be a parent one day. Maybe you're praying for your spouse or your family or your finances or the salvation of your family and your friends. Maybe you're your grandparents and you're praying for your grandkids. Or maybe you're newly retired and you're just like, what now, Lord? I don't know where you're at. But I know for me, my, my biggest prayers in my heart are always for my kids. Like, Lord... Save them. Use them. Will you take them to parts of the world and use them for your goodwill? And will I be okay with that? It may cost them their lives. Will I be okay with that? My prayers are centered around my family, my friends for their salvation, about my finances. Like we have a house for sale in Saskatchewan. Hasn't sold yet. Been a year. Lord, why not yet? My prayers are centered around, Lord, what does church planning look like? Am I the right guy for the job? And Lord, if I am the right guy, when will I know? What kind of billboard are you going to put in front of me so that I might see? And it's hard, right? It's hard. How many of us can honestly say that after, after great lengths of time in prayer, how quickly we become skeptical of the things that God says he will do? How quickly do we begin to question God? when he doesn't answer our prayers and requests as quickly as we had hoped he should. The question will be, for all of us here, how long, how faithful to the prayers of our hearts will we be? Are we willing to wait our whole lives for an answer? And are we willing to be content with the outcomes? I want to encourage all of us, all of you, as we go from this place, to not have a heart like Zechariah did in the temple when the angel told him what God was about to do. But I want to encourage you, seek with all of your might to have a heart like Zechariah did when he wrote to all of those in his home, his name is John. For out of that moment he believed that the Lord would do came the subsequent song of praise to the Lord. So let us have the same heart. Let us have the same resolve. Let us have the same belief that God will do exactly what is best for us in the exact timeline he will do it. 
Let the song of worship just burst from us, from our very souls, that no matter the outcome, no matter what happens, no matter how much time it takes to answer, whatever your answer to the prayers of your heart may be, 